You're listening to Endgame with Kyla Brettel and Rob Law, a podcast about our hearts and minds on climate change. The phrase collapse now before the rush sounds like something my grandmother would have welcomed on Christmas Day. The house had be groaning with the return of her five adult children and their runner offshoots like me. As a child, I remember the swollen fridge and red cordial overflowing from my cup, wading knee-deep through torn wrapping paper and lining up all my presents in a row. While my grandfather would cope with Christmas Day by snoring softly in a comfy chair, my grandmother would swoon dramatically, knowing her competent daughters would glide in and take over, serving food, dealing with the mess, opening more bottles of wine. In terms of climate, though, collapsing now is not about giving up and falling in a heap, but learning to live differently and shifting expectations of normal before it's compulsory. The idea that the world is going through an intense upheaval is more or less sunk in. And while I'm not fully ready to collapse now, I'm sure I want to change things up try to live in a more ecologically sustainable way. But I want change to be deeper than switching to eco-branding and spending up on a new induction stovetop. I need to figure in my own head what living sustainably means for me and my little family here in Barker's Creek. I'm just going to get wet, that's all. I don't want to get my feet wet. So by day I'm scrambling through an obstacle course of top tips and handy hints wrestling with ropes of alliterations on how to refrain, reduce, reuse, repurpose, rot, recycle and repair the stuff in our lives. Wait a minute, I think I know something. There's a way I'm loading spreadsheets in the cellar and interrogating various household items on where they've been and where they're going. I'm quite sure there's an easy crossing just ahead. I'm mapping power cords in the lounge and auditing our energy consumption and doing nature projects with the kids to learn about the wild animals we live with and how we can be better neighbours. Watch out, it's a lift, and don't go that way. There's a big sip. Oh, I better help stay on. It would be much better doing gumboots, okay? We're in our creek. We can see grass and flowers and trees. And, um... We can also see miners' holes from back in the gold rush. There are heaps around here. And we come up here and we this is my little grassy point where I like to sit and watch the river. It's a good river watching point here. Oh, and here's another landmark, Spider Tree Arch. It got its name for... Um, Hey guys, let's see if we can get some of these frogs. It's kind of fun doing all this, particularly as my eight-year-old is super impressed. He calls me eco-warrior king mummy without a hint of sarcasm. I decide to just enjoy it while it lasts. After the kids go to bed, I reboot my ancient brain. Not my subcortex, but my brain before the treadmill of life set in before I started to ruthlessly prune synapses to focus on the essentials. 
So I'm reading like I did in my first year at university, free-ranging across various disciplines on the big question of what does living sustainably mean? Like deep down, underneath the tongue twisters, what's it really about? One takeaway I get from the book stacked beside my bed is that living sustainably is essentially about sharing the planet's resources fairly amongst ourselves, without destroying it for future use. Under this lens, the current system of late capitalist globalisation fails miserably. Philosopher and political theorist Frederick Jameson once said, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. I agree, but luckily he's not the only one doing the imagining. So we need to come up with new economic policies and new business models that are actually fit for these times. I've been reading Kate Raworth's book, Donut Economics, where she basically says it's time for our economies to stop being like adolescents and grow up. She argues that we need to lose growth, getting bigger and consuming more as a measure of economic success, and that we do this by shifting to regenerative economies and circular systems – where the waste from one process is the food for another, and also move into distributive systems where power, wealth and education is networked and spread about, not concentrated in one spot. It's a proposal for a system that can enable us to mature, stop growing and settle into the sustainable sweet spot. We need to find the balance in a resilient, thriving way in that space in between where we meet the needs of all people within the means of the planet, and that is the green donut itself. A more expansive reading on what living sustainably means is that it's about upholding the right of non-human life to exist. Kelsey Leonard of the Shinnecock Nation is an advocate for a global movement called Earth Law. It's a new emerging area of law, as we might see it within the more Western conceptualization of law and legal systems. But in fact, it's actually a pretty ancient form of law when we think about Indigenous law and in context of Indigenous law around the world. It's a movement that's about reimagining a non-exploitational relationship with the natural world. And not necessarily for human benefit first. It's really to say, what types of laws and legislation can we create that puts nature first? That asks, what do we need to protect for nature to exist, thrive, and naturally evolve, recognising its inherent rights. This idea that we're not the most important thing at the centre of the universe is actually very radical and deeply subversive. It's hard to think outside ourselves. But according to psychologist and trauma expert Bruce Perry, we're hardwired with a superpower that enables us to do just that. Empathy, our ability to feel for and with another, enables us to see beyond our immediate self and ourselves as belonging to a network. Perry argues that our capacity for empathy, which has its biological roots in mirror neurons in the brain, is an essential attribute we need for individual, relational and societal health. It's even vital for our survival as a species. There are limited resources on this planet And there are many, many, many of us. And if we do not take advantage of our relational gifts to figure out how to live with each other in a respectful, compassionate way, we will kill each other. 
He argues that aspects of modern life are eroding our innate capacity for empathy and that this is impacting our ability to deal with the problems we face. We've become so focused on this frenzied, disconnected style of life. To a large degree, the brain reflects the world that you grow up in. And if the world is relationally impoverished, if people are not really talking with each other, if they're not present with each other, you will not get adequate stimulation of the parts of your brain involved in forming and maintaining healthy relationships, and you will be fundamentally self-absorbed. Maybe underneath it all, living sustainably is about striving to look up from what we consider normal, shift our gaze and rethink how we live, how we see and deal with the world and one another. Hey, hey guys, let's be really quiet. I'm trying to preach them. I'm sure all these books and thinkers on my bedside table whispered in exchange notes with one another and then slipped into my dreams. Because I started getting a sense of how extraordinary this current moment is, how much is going on in the world beyond Barker's Creek. The ideas, the actions, the conversations, all firing off like neurons in this struggle to respond to the massive problem of climate. And despite everything, this terrifying prospect of social and ecological collapse and what this means for my kids, I have to admit to being a bit excited by this ferment and the possibility of alternate visions for our future it brings into being. And I arrived at seeing the climate problem as not solely the big science and global systems and planet overshoot, about being human and our need to learn and change and for me that's something I can connect with that can ground what I'm doing and, and be what I try and make sense of Whoa, look at that it's a hole maybe a fresco you are all involved in a transgenerational process of inventing the future. Every single person on this planet has the ability to influence the people around them, including the young children who are growing up around them. And by doing so, that influences the way they will impact others and the world. Thank you for listening to this sound work, co-produced for the Endgame Story site by myself, Kyla Brettel, and Rob Law. To find out more about this show, the project, or to listen to more, go to our website, endgamepodcast.net.